Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, you can join me right back in Psalm number 13. How about that tonight? Amen. I don't know about you guys, but God really, uh, he really rattled my cage a little bit this morning. Anybody else say he did that for you? Amen. I was surprised. I shouldn't be, but I'm, I'm, I was surprised at how many people said, you know, I was at my breaking point. I had some say, you know what, I was just sort of hanging on by a thread, and I was reminded this morning that God is who He says He is, and I don't have to lose hope, and I don't have to be overly stressed, and I don't have to, and I I just thank God that He knows what we need. Aren't you glad? We don't have to worry about all the details. God knows what we need and when we need it, and I'm so thankful to be a part of a gathering of people who uh, are just so encouraging. Thank you for always encouraging me and my family and praying for us. We we can't tell you what that means to us. Uh, I want to say to you this, what I know about uh, this life is is that prayer is the work. Preaching is not the work, and those are things we do, and God does things through them, but our work is done in prayer. That's where we battle. That's where we pray. And so thank you for being a praying people. Psalm number 13. Question, how many of you got a little nap today? Anybody? Raise your hand if you got a little nap today. Raise it up high so we can look around sort of percentage-wise. Hurry up. All right, yes. Hey, that's a pretty good percentage today. And uh, thank you for honoring, listen to me, honoring the Lord by resting a little today. Uh, it honors God when you rest on the Sabbath day. He says we need to have a Sabbath, which simply means a day of rest, a day of break, and a day in which we set aside to rest our minds and bodies and specifically rest them on Him. And so tonight I pray God would encourage you a little bit further in Psalm number 13. Let's pick up, all right, if we can, in verse number 11. If you missed our gathering t- this morning... I want to encourage you to go back, and, and, and you can find it on Facebook Archive, or you can find it at, at a podcast. I do a podcast called Truth for Today with Terry Fan. You can go back, and if you don't have time to like necessarily watch, but you can just listen while you're going about work, uh, do that. Don't miss the first half of this message, but let's pick up. And really, both of them are standalone, but they do build on each other, okay? So remember, it's a psalm of David. It's a time when David is talking to somebody. Do you remember who David was talking to? Himself. Look at that. You, you remember himself. And he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, right? And he says, all that is within me, he's talking to himself. And, and sometimes we talked about how necessary a pep talk is for us. Uh, I got a couple text messages that here's all that the, those said was just thank you for the pep talk. And it's a pep talk. It's a, t- a time to call you up and not beat you down. A time to lighten your load and not add to it. A time to assure you, blessed assurance, instead of confound you or confuse you. See, he's not a God of confusion or disorder. He's one who wants you to know what you know and know him and rest in that fact, okay? And so David is having this conversation with himself. But he's also going to make a plea now in the second half of this psalm uh, for others to join in, okay? And so this, this, this spirit of praise, this attitude of uh, gratitude and, and assurance ought to be not just David and not just me and not just you, but also those around us, God's people, okay? But then also extended past that, it should also be the angels and and every other created being uh, ought to all be praising the Lord. And we'll get there but by the time we leave tonight, whatever time that might be, okay? I hope that you came rested and, and you had a good lunch, okay? Let's, if you will, stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Let's pick up in verse number 11. Can we smile at each other one time? All right, yes, no? Some of y'all just ain't going to smile, are you? 
I'm going to keep looking at you until you smile one time. All right? Yeah, can we smile? Okay, good. Some of y'all smiling in the morning, this evening. Okay, picking up in verse 11. For as the heavens, <clears throat> remember where we left off, the last thing that we looked at this morning is the fact that God has not dealt with us according to our sin. And isn't that, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God hasn't said, you know what, I'm going to punish you for every wrong thing you've ever done. I'm going to mistreat you for everything that you've ever mistreated somebody. I'm going to do you wrong. I'm going to pay you back for everything that you've ever thought, every wicked deed you've ever done. <laughs> hey, our ship would be sunk. Wouldn't you agree with me? Uh, but he did deal with somebody according to our sin. His name? It's Jesus, picking up in verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his, somebody help me, mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. As the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. Notice that he went from me and my to now he's including others. <clears throat> he knows our frame. He remembers that we are, somebody help me out, <clears throat> dust. As for man... His days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant... And to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established, I'm in verse 19, his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then David comes back to the one he began the conversation with, and he says, read it with me, bless the Lord, O my soul. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I, I shudder to think where we would be without it. I thank you that it nourishes, that it cleanses, that it convicts. It's like a mirror. And we're able to peer into it, and it reads us. And, Lord, we're able to look into this mirror of your word and find liberty and the fact that, Lord, we ought to see, looking back at us, ourselves being transformed from glory to glory, looking a little more like Jesus every step of the way. <clears throat> now, would you do that work in us through the preaching of your word? I thank you, Lord, for the gift of preaching. I thank you, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you tonight for the gift of Jesus, who by his precious blood has bought all things uh, for me and for those who call on his name. And I thank you for the power of the resurrection. Now, tonight, would you preach through me? And as you preach through me, God, would you also preach to me? I need to hear from you again tonight. And I pray that for every person within the sound of my voice. You tune our ears to your voice. And that, God, we'd sit on the front edge of our seat. We'd be excited on a Sunday night out in the middle of nowhere that we could hear from you, hear from heaven. So speak to our hearts. Please take your word and do what you will. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Rewinding back to the beginning. Now, tonight's title is simply a part two. You realize that. So this morning's message was a very necessary pep talk, all right? And so tonight is a very necessary pep talk, part two, if you will. It's just the second half. And so we're going to pick up Roman number one. And by the way, we have five again tonight. Isn't that good? And one of them's got a list of three. Isn't that good? And so Roman number one, and you know, let's write this down, okay? The main idea, can you guess what it is? It'd have to be the same one, right? And so can you remember the main idea from this morning? What did we learn? That we should... Get up and praise the Lord. Get up and praise the Lord. Now, we said get up. What does that mean? Sometimes we get down. 
Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get anxious. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes we get, not just that, but sometimes it's the highlight of life that we get into a rut or routine and we just sort of get average and mundane in our praise. It's not just the bad things that lead us there. We talked about two ways that we oftentimes get to a forgetful place of the benefits of God, and that is times of discouragement, but also times when things are going well and things are going good and we have a tendency to forget, as God told his children before they crossed over that river, don't forget me when you get there and your belly's full and your house is built, don't forget me, and yet they did, and yet we do, and so tonight he's reminding us to remember him, picking up in verse number 11, get up and praise the Lord, all right, Roman number one, four, and we're going to talk about why for just a minute, four, he is extremely merciful. And he said, I think I heard that this morning. You did. And you'll hear that again tonight. Amen. And you'll hear it for the rest of your days if you study and get to know God a little bit better. If you feel like tonight that you have a firm understanding, a perfect understanding of the mercy of God, you've missed it altogether. It's so rich and wide and deep and tall that you and I can never really understand how marvelous is the mercy of God. As a matter of fact, the understanding of mercy that we've received is only because of being able for us to determine what God says uh, is good and what God says is not good. And yet, again, we fail to realize all of the actions and attitudes of our life fail to measure up to the perfect holiness and righteousness of God. So truth is, we need mercy a lot more than we really understand, don't we? So look back with me in verse number 11. He says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great, marvelous, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Now, how far? The heavens are above the earth. You began to uh, hear the measurements of how far stars are and how far the firmaments are from from earth, and it begins to blow your mind. Um, I'll tell you, when you start walking, and you go walk a mile, and you say, boy, that's a... How many of you think if you took out walking right now and you walked a mile, you say, boy, that's a long way? Now, some of y'all are like, I ain't walking no mile. And then you began to realize that there are light years, and, and the distance of that is, <laughs> well, it just blow your mind compared to a mile. And that's how far away. And he's saying that his mercy is so great. It's greater than the distance from uh, the heavens to the earth. I'm just going to tell you something. God's mercy is great, isn't it? And so here's what we know in that. We're, we can have blessed assurance. We sang about it. We can have blessed assurance that even when we fail, God has plentiful mercy for those who love him. Now, at this particular time, in, 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 in right now, God is merciful to the just and the unjust. But remember, there's coming a time uh, at the end of life where the just and the unjust are separated, right? And then, and then again, at the end of time, the sheep and the goats are going to be separated as well. And one group will receive eternal mercy, and one group will be stripped away of any mercy. Y'all tracking with me? And so his mercy is great, and I'm so thankful. All right, so we can get up and praise the Lord in the midst of our pity parties, in the midst of our mundane lives sometimes. We can get up and praise the Lord because he's extremely merciful. Number two in your notes there, all right? Verse number 13. And I want us to take just a minute and look at uh, verse number, excuse me, verse number 12. I want us to look for just a second at verse number 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about that. Does that mean then, precious friend, does it mean that God has taken our sinful nature from us completely? Does it mean that God has taken away from us the, the desire to commit sin? Does it mean that God has separated our carnal nature, the nature of Adam from us so far that we never want to do the wrong thing and so far that we never do the wrong thing? The answer is no. 
And so what is it that he means? It means that in Jesus Christ, and he, of course, is looking forward. Uh, you and I are looking backwards to the cross of Jesus Christ, where he removed from us, you ready, the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Now, quickly, I want to remind you of this, so that when people ask you, what did God save me from, you, you don't just say sin. Because if you tell people that God saved you from sin, they don't look at, they're going to say, oh, okay. And if you look in their eyes, you'll understand what they're saying is, I have no idea what you just said. And so what you're able to say to them is, hey, let me describe to you what it means that when Jesus Christ died for us and now we can have salvation or be saved, we're saved from the power of sin, but we're also saved from the penalty of sin. The power of sin is to dominate us, right? We no longer have to live under the dominion of sin. Will we still sin? Yes. Uh, but we will sin less and less. Come on, somebody. And we'll experience the power of God not to continue in the same sin that we sinned in the past. Aren't you thankful for the power of God to deliver you from the power. There is sin that used to be in my life so prevalent that used to have a chokehold on me. Can anybody testify to that? That no longer does, thanks to Jesus Christ. Amen? Used to have a stranglehold on me. So the power of sin, but also the penalty of sin, which is, here it is, to separate us. What is the penalty of sin? What's the wages of sin? Anybody know? Death. Death specifically, not just a physical death, but he's talking about a spiritual death or a separation from God. And Jesus has saved us from that. And God has removed our sins so far. The penalty of sin, the power so far from us, uh, we'll never have to answer for our sin. We'll never be judged guilty. Can you imagine that? This week I pray when you feel downtrodden because of the way the world is going, and when you look at culture and you hear the things that are being taught to our children, I pray you'd be encouraged. You'd be encouraged that God's merciful, His mercy is great, and that He has removed our sin from us. And so there's also motivation to tell somebody this week, of the good news of Jesus, okay? Moving right along, Roman numeral three. Y'all okay? Everybody all right? Moving at a little bit of a rapid pace, but just sort of kind of walking through the end of this thing. I want us to look for just a minute at verses 13 and 14. And what we're going to talk for just a minute about, and if there's a parent in the room, you understand this better uh, than not having a parent, or somebody who has helped raise children or been around children, <clears throat> you learn this. Roman number three, write this down. We ought to get up and praise the Lord because he's extremely merciful because he's removed our sin from us, far from us, and because he has compassion for us. Do you know that you and I can do some stupid things? Now, I know you're thinking about somebody else, but I want you to think about yourself for just a minute. Did you know, listen to me now, did you know that you can do some pretty stupid things? And I know I can do some pretty stupid things. Uh, sometimes I scratch my head and say, what were you thinking? Right there, you know? How'd you get yourself in this situation that you're in right now? And so we can do some pretty stupid things. So read with me verse 13 and verse 14. As a father, listen to what David is saying now. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, I want to I stop for a minute and make a point that I made this morning. Notice that he's talking about those in verse number uh, 12, as far as those that uh, he's removed our sin from us. Verse 11, he says, those who fear him. Uh, verse 13, those who fear him. So be reminded that these precious promises, this blessed assurance is not for everybody. You, you, you all tracking with me? Notice that when he, when he says those who fear him and, and, and he makes those, those are identifying uh, factors about a specific group of people who are the recipients of these blessed benefits, okay? Y'all going with me? And so it's not a universal thing. He's talking here specifically about those who love God and know him and walk accordingly. All right, we all together? 
Okay, now, looking back at verse number 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. How many of you love to be pitied? You know, you just love to be pitied. How many of you, like me, in your nature, you don't want anybody to pity you? Anybody say, you raise your hand, I don't really want anybody to pity me. <clears throat> and I believe it's because we don't understand the definition of what he's saying here about pity. This kind of pity is not you. Well, in the South, we have a way of pitying people, and we do it, we do it charmingly and graciously. We say, bless their heart. Don't we do that? And depending on the circumstance and the severity of the need for grace, we might even say, bless their little heart. You know, and oftentimes what we're saying is, man, they, they, they just can't, they just don't know any better. You know, they just don't. And so this isn't a, this isn't a condescending kind of pity. Uh, this kind of pity is being mindful like a father to his children. And you've oftentimes heard me say this before. You can only expect a five-year-old to understand the level of a five-year-old. I was talking to a set of parents this morning. I said, isn't it interesting that the assignment of a parent is uh, to, first of all, lead their children to Christ. But until such a time as that, it's a time, it's a, it is an assignment of behavior modification. Have you ever thought much about that? Parents, we, we, we get this assignment that we're now supposed to shape the nature of Adam and try to correct its behavior and shape that behavior. And, and really our hope and desire will be that they hurry up and come to know Jesus because he's the only one who can change the heart, right? You ever notice how stubborn kids can be? Why is that? Because behavior modification only works a little bit. It is the changing of the heart that leads to the changing of the action, right? So a father pities their children. A father doesn't look to their child and expect their child to know what it's like to have, have kids. A, a father, a mother, looks at their child and, and can't expect them to know what it's like to have, you know, before they've worked full time, before they've, before they've experienced the death of a parent, before they've experienced the trials of life and providing a financially for a family or planning or any of that. So you can't expect somebody who's not been there yet, who's not lived long enough yet to get there. Are you with me? And so there's a pity in the, in the heart of the father or the mother or the parent that doesn't say, you poor pitiful thing. No, no. They don't love the child less and look down on the child. No, no. It is an understanding, a compassionate understanding. Matter of fact, if you have the ESV, you probably says uh, compassion is what he's going to say there. He has compassion. Well, those two things coincide. Compassion says, I see that you're in a condition that you can't help, and I care. That's what compassion says. Again, you look at a 12-year-old, and you have compassion. You see where they are. They can only see what a 12-year-old sees. They can only understand what a 12-year-old, and you don't look down on them for it. You love them right where they are and try to help them until they can get to the place of maturity. Come on. I wish somebody nod ahead with me in the house, right? So this journey is one in which he says, our father. Now, let's make application here. That means, because sometimes we feel like because we're adults or because we've experienced life or because we've had kids or not had kids, because we've been married, not married, because we've experienced the death of we feel like because we've gotten older and experienced some things, that makes us somebody. No, no. What he's saying here is that none of us are equal to God. And because of that, not even close. And because of that, God understands us. And by the way, I'm so thankful. Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes we're a little harder on ourselves than God himself is. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes we're a little harder on ourselves than, than God himself is because God understands. He knows that we are made of the dust. 
Read with me now, going back to these verses. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Why would he have compassion for us? Because God knows, he understands that our frame, right? He knows our frame is not a a, a double load-bearing frame. He knows that we are simply made from the dust, and it doesn't take much pressure to cause us to crumble and fall. And he understands that. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad of that? Now, at the same time, somebody would say, well, then good. I can just go and live my life how I want to live. No, no, no. He expects you and me to be progressing in our faith. And as we come to know Jesus, we become more like him little by little. And our frame gets stronger because (laughs) it's superimposed with the frame of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? And so he's mindful that we're made of the dust. He knows our frame. Reading on in verse number 14, he remembers. He remembers. Now, remember what, what David said early on. Don't forget the benefits of God. I'm glad that God never forgets that I'm, I'm just made from the dust. God never looks down at me and says, oh, why did he do that? He ought to act like me. He, he's remind, he never forgets that I am made from, help me, y'all, the dust. Aren't you glad of that? And wouldn't you agree with me that wouldn't we do well to take the attitude of our Father towards one another? Amen. Listen to me now. This is the motivation to show grace to other people. Why, if God knows that me and you are made of the dust and that our frame is weak and and that we sometimes do the wrong thing, we can't handle pressure very well, uh, why is it then that we hold each other to a higher standard than God would? And wouldn't it be better for us to just learn to have compassion and grace for people and for each other when we struggle and when we have difficult times and be there to pick each other up and to cheer each other on? I wish y'all just nod your head with me if you would, all right? Wouldn't it be right for us to be like him in the fact that we have grace upon grace for one another and mercy upon mercy for each other uh, because there's a marathon we're running and not a sprint. And there's going to be sometimes we get tired and sometimes we do some stupid things and we really need each other. To be part of the journey together. Okay, so moving on, he has compassion for us. Verse 14, for he knows our frame, and he goes on to say, he's mindful, he remembers that we are but dust. I'm so glad. And isn't it interesting, in the middle of that, even though we are so small, even though we are so, if you will, um, unable to do great things in ourselves, isn't it amazing that we're still the object of his attention? And the object of his great love. I don't know about you. When, when, we, when you and I in our nature pick things to love, we pick things that benefit us and make us stronger and better. And God picked us. And we have nothing to add to the equation. Isn't that wonderful? All right, let me move on if I can, okay? Moving on to Roman numeral four if I could. So far, we've said. Y'all help me. Get up and praise the Lord. Why? Number one, help me somebody. For he is extremely merciful. He's not a little bit merciful. He's extremely merciful. Number two, for he is removed our sin from us. The power and the penalty is gone. Jesus did that, and it's gone away from us. Number three, he has compassion. I ought to get up and praise the Lord because he's not up there angry at me and wanting to crush me, but he understands me because he has been like me. Wow. We now have a high priest who is merciful and sympathetic to our condition. You know why? Because he's been flesh before. It's what helps me identify with him. He knows what it's like to be a man and tempted in all points except he did it perfectly. Okay, I'm trying to move on. I said I was. Number four, all right? We ought to also get up and praise the Lord because he is God constantly, all right? He's God constantly. Write that in your notes there. And this is going to cover verses 15 to 19. And we're going to have three things that we're going to highlight in those particular passages, in those verses, all right? He's God constantly. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like in your life if he was God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but then on Friday he took a break? 
Can you imagine the unraveling? Can you imagine if for one day uh, he was, took a break. He said, I'm not going to be God for this, this day on Friday. I'm taking Friday off eight hours. I'm not going to be God. Can you imagine the unraveling of society and the unraveling of your life and my life? Hey, let me just boil it down to a little bit smaller increment if I could. Can you imagine if God took one hour and he ceased to be God for one hour, just one hour? Can you imagine the unraveling? Let me reduce it down if I could. What if for one millisecond? God began to say, I'm not going to be God for this millisecond. Let me say, the Scripture says this about the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. And though science can say specific details, it cannot explain why the earth is tilted in the perfect position and is held there. And the fact that in the middle of, in the middle of uh, molecules there are protons and neutrons positively and negatively charged, sometimes both positive, which should repel one another. And science cannot figure what keeps your atoms in your body from completely coming apart. And by the way, the splitting of the atom is an atom bomb. And just imagine that without Jesus holding it all together, that's what you are walking around. So if for a millisecond he ceased to be God, he, un, all things would not be held together. And everything would come unraveled in such a way that you couldn't even fathom the devastation. So aren't you glad? Some of you are looking really serious right now. Aren't you glad he's God constantly? Now listen to what David's saying. David's reminding himself in the midst of his failures and the difficulties of life and the times when sometimes we forget and lose sight of the fact that God is good and he's doing good things and we start losing sight of because, you know, people can be difficult and life can be hard and we start losing sight. He's, he's having a little pep talk. He says, get up and give praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And now he's saying, because God never ceases to be God. Let, let me show you in verse 15. As for man, now, now by the way, in comparison, what he's about to do is make a compare and contrast. He's going to start with the lesser. As a matter of fact, in Jewish tradition, you'll find over and over, the lesser is compared first to the greater. The lesser being man. Somebody got it, boy, you read ahead. And the greater being God. Now, let's see it. Verse 15. Where does he start? With man. As for man, his days are like... Have you been out in your yard lately? Anybody? <clears throat> Listen, don't fall down. It'll take the hide off of you. It's crunchy, isn't it? Uh, it looks like we've had five heavy frosts out there, and it's gone. It'll be gone. A lot of that grass will but don't be dead and withered away. Listen to what he says. Uh, As for man, his days are like the grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. So he talks about the fact that it starts as a little seed, and it grows up, and it receives the nutrients that it needs. It produces a plant, and then the plant produces a flower, and it has a season, and it's there, and it's beautiful. And maybe it's a tree, maybe it's a flower, maybe it's some type of plant. But what he says, when the wind passes over it, and it is gone, it, it passes away, and its place remembers it no more. No more. I was riding with someone last week. They were, we believe it was last week in my truck, and we came down Mulliken to the corner of Mulliken Hickory Ridge, and we came down the front of the original sanctuary, and I said, man, I wish you could have seen that elm tree that was planted right there, and how the kids would run into that thing, and they looked at me, what tree? I said, there was an elm tree right there. They said, well, I don't see a, I don't see a divot. I don't see a hole. I said, I know. That's what the scripture says, that when things that grow up from the ground, when they pass away, its place remembers it no more. The grass doesn't remember it. The place, you can't go and tell at all that there was a tree there. And the same is true about your life. hundred years from when you're gone, unless you're living your life for the glory of the Lord and investing 
in making disciples and sharing the good news of Jesus, the toll of your day will have no effect and your place will remember you no more. Think about your great, great to the fifth power, great, 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 great grandfather's name. Could you tell me all three names, first, middle, and last? Can you tell me what his favorite hobby was? You're great, great to the fifth power now. What his favorite hobby, what he liked to do in the morning first thing when he got up. Can you tell me what his favorite color was or how he loved his wife, your great, 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 great grandmother? No, you can't. You know why? Because man's like grass. We grow up, we toil, we do our season, we produce our fruit, we pass away, and our place remembers us no more. Now, don't be sad. Because our soul goes on, amen? Our soul goes on somewhere. <clears throat> so let's read a little bit about this. Three things I want to share with you about God being constant. We can praise the Lord because God is God constantly. Number one, <clears throat> in verse 15 and 16, we just proved this. Man's experience here is very quick. It's very quick. Can you believe how old you are? Anybody else like me? I mean, I, me and my dad were talking. His, his birthday was this week. And he, he said, he said, you realize I'm 69 years old? I said, Dad, when did that happen? He said, well, you know what that makes you? I was like, I don't want to talk about that. I can't believe I'm fixing to be 46. I can't believe it. I still think I'm about 20 years old, which my body says, no, big boy, don't even think about it. <clears throat> How quickly it's happened. And when you're younger, you know, you have these goals. You, you can't wait to drive, you know? Y'all remember what I'm talking about. And it seems like until you can drive life, it just, you know, it, it seems like days are years. And you can't wait to drive. And then you start driving and you get down the road a little bit and you're asking, hey, who wants to drive? And then, and then you say, boy, you can't wait <clears throat> to go to, you know, start a career, go to work. Then you do that and you get in that about five years. You're saying, boy, well, I wish I was back in high school. And then maybe if the Lord has it for you, you get married and you, oh, you can't wait to plan the day and the dress got to be right, hair's got to be right, nails got to be right, got to write flowers and all that kind of stuff. And then 10 years from then you're thinking, man, we, it feels like I don't even remember life without you, right? And, and it happens so very quickly. You can tell a young person that, but I'm telling you what I've already experienced. You can't know it until you live it. And it wouldn't you agree with me that as the years go by, it seems to get quicker and quicker and quicker. That's the point. That's what, he's, that's what David's saying. Hey, you're only going to be here for a minute. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> why would you need to hear that <clears throat> when your soul is downtrodden? Think about it. When, you, when you're hiding in the cave, when you're sitting under the broom tree and contemplating why you're even living or don't even feel like living or you don't want to go on, why, why would you need to hear uh, that your life is quick? Here's the thing. Whatever suffering you're going through is temporary. Isn't that good? Every bit of the suffering we're going through is temporary. It's contained in this little life that we have down here, a little, a little blip on the screen in eternity, okay? So man's experience here is quick. That's verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> now, second thing I want to show to you is this, okay? Uh, verse 17 and 18. Number two, write this down. His mercy and righteousness to those who are his is timeless. There's no bound to it. It doesn't start and stop. It's timeless. Now, here's what we're building to here. <clears throat> we're building to when life seems to have lost hope. Based on this compare and contrast, the lesser man, his time here, her time here is very quick and very limited. God, who's timeless, who before time was created, he was. Who should we turn to when life seems hopeless? Our own understanding? Our own friends, the world, the culture, which changes like the wind? Or wouldn't it make sense if we would turn our attention and affection toward God? 
and say, Lord, in my hopelessness, would you remind me who you are and whose I am? Let me read, okay? Put your eyes on verse number 17 and 18. <clears throat> but the mercy of the Lord is from when? Everlasting to everlasting. You know what that means? There's no time limit, no shelf life. It means it didn't start when man started. It means it always has been. God has always been merciful and always will be merciful. You can't depend on your government. You can't depend on your parent. You can't depend on society and your ability to work and your ability to do. You can't depend on anything because everything changes except you can depend on the Lord our God. He's everlasting to everlasting. You can depend on him. That's what David's saying. You can say, get up and praise the Lord because you can count on him. He's God constantly. L let me move on, okay? <clears throat> Verse 18 Notice what he says, to such as, oh, I don't want to, on, on those who fear him and his righteousness. So it's, it's mercy and righteousness to children's children. Uh, I'm just mindful of the fact that how you live your faith is going to impact your children and your children's children. Isn't that cool? It's going to impact. You say, does that mean they're definitely going to be saved? No, but it's going to have a great impact on how they, if you live your faith at home and at church and in life as an authentic relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you, the righteousness of God is going to visit children and children's children. You're going to see it's going to make a difference as long as you and I continue to pour into our children the next generation. So he says in verse 18, to such as keep his, there it is again, to keep his covenant. And to those who remember his commandments to do them. Now, we would say in a New Testament faith, that is a byproduct of faith in Jesus. Right? Of faith in Jesus. I'm in a covenant relationship with God. And because I'm in covenant relationship with God, my responsibility in the relationship is to follow Jesus. Now, that sounds wonderful. And somewhere along the lines, we thought that follow Jesus means to go to church. Okay, and let me just say that going to church is where we're encouraged, where we're built up, where we're equipped, where we're challenged, where we're given opportunities to serve. That's, that's not following Jesus. We're following Jesus when we go out of these doors and we go to our homes and to our workplaces and we make disciples. That's following Jesus. I've got a question for you. Are you following Jesus? Are you? Do you have a shirt that says you are or is your life really making disciples? Following Jesus. And by the way, he's worth following. And if you want to know where the fullness of joy is, it's in his presence, following Jesus. I'm telling you, his command. So those who work their faith, their faith is exposed in their works, okay? Now, number three, if you will, write this in your notes. We said, one, man's experience here is quick. Two, his mercy and righteousness to those who are his is timeless. Okay, where well, this is all under the heading, God is constant. He is God constantly, okay? Number three, his dominion has no boundaries. His dominion has no boundaries. Where did I find that? Verse number 19. You're reading with me? His dominion has no, y'all help me, no boundaries. God is not in a box, and nobody can tell him where to stay, and there is no nation on the earth where God is not God, and there's no place that you can ever find yourself where God is not God. He's God constantly, and he's God universally. He's God all the time, everywhere. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne. Y'all help me where? In heaven. In heaven. That's the center place, if you will, of his rule. But his kingdom rules where? Overall. Wait, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. What about when Pharaoh was in, in power? You know, the word of God says specifically, God said, I've placed Pharaoh in control for my glory. And you know the horrible things that, that Pharaoh did. But it was all part of God's redemptive plan. 
And he's God constantly, and you can trust him, and you can be encouraged. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So wherever you find yourself, somebody said, yeah, but I live in a, I had a person say to me one time, and they said, uh, my work is, is uh, they say, it's just like the abode of Satan, you know. And I say, let me remind you that where you work, God is God. And he's, and he's God at your home. Yeah, but my house is, it's just caught. Yeah, but he's God. And you can have worship with him, and he can have dominion in your heart. And there he is God all the time. Okay, so we can have encouragement because he's God constantly. Finally, number five. Y'all got one more in you? Some of y'all looking awful tired tonight. I'm just kidding. You look great. You look great. Don't you love when somebody tells you that? Boy, you look tired. And then encourage you? Yeah. I pray you wouldn't do that this week. I pray you'd just walk up people and tell them, you look good today. And you'd be an encourager. You'd be somebody today who this week God would say, send you places to tell people, get up now, get up and praise the Lord. And you wouldn't do it condescendingly, you wouldn't do it meanly, but you'd just look people in the face and say, come on, I get it. Let's review why we ought to praise God and, and give him glory. All right, number five, everybody and everything should praise him everywhere. Boy, that's a, uh, that's a big statement, isn't it? Look at it on the overhead. Write it somewhere. Everybody and everything ought to praise him everywhere. Let me show you. Let me show you. Verses 20 to 22. You got that written down? Everybody and everything should praise him everywhere. Do you have to be, let me ask you a question. Do you have to be inside a building that we call church to praise the Lord? And yet, wouldn't you say that most commonly where you see people praising the Lord is where? In the building that we call the church. And I pray that you and I would change that, that our lives would be uh, changed, culture changers. We'd be out praising the Lord everywhere we go. Let me read verse 20. Y'all have time to write that down? Yes? We can move on. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. We're talking about those in heaven, and now we're going to talk about those on earth. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his, y'all help me, works, all his works, everything that God made. By the way, what all did God make? Everything. So everybody, heaven and earth, everything, everything he created, ought to praise him where? Let me read a little further. And he says, bless the Lord all his works in where? All places. All places. You ought to praise him in your home. Your kids ought to hear you saying, God is so good. I wonder when the last time your daughter heard you say, or your son heard you say, let me just stop for a minute and talk about the goodness of God. You know, there are people in this room right now, I'm certain, that have never talked about the goodness of God in their own home, but at the same time have complained about everything in their life. And we wonder sometimes, don't we, why more people don't have an attitude of gratitude and praise? It ought to be the norm in our house. We're talking about, let me tell you about what God's done, what, what he's doing in my life. It's about the goodness of God. And conversationally, authentically, talking about how good God is. Here's what David's saying. Notice that he started by saying to himself, get up and praise the Lord. Now he's saying to the angels in heaven and to the saints of old and to those who are serving God and those who are here on earth, everywhere, everybody, everything, get up and praise the Lord. He's telling them, oh, y'all come on and get up and let's praise him together. By the way, it's what we were made for. We were made by him and for him. And the chief means of our life is to bring glory to God. And one way we can do that is to praise him, to get up and praise the Lord. All right, let me just conclude by reading verse 21 and 22. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works. And here's where you do it, in all places. I wish this week you'd just start whistling your favorite song. And I'll guarantee you, somebody will ask you, what's wrong with you? I wish you'd wear a smile this week. 
I'm not talking about your life's going to be simple and lollipops and gumdrops, but you've, listen, if you hadn't heard today that you've got reason to smile, man, I don't know where you were at. And I pray that you'd have a smile. They'd ask you, hey, you know, what's wrong with you? What are you smiling about? Have you not watched the news? Oh, I have watched. No, matter of fact, I don't watch the news. But let me tell you why I'm smiling. And you can just tell them, just one to one. Let me tell you why I've got joy in my heart. Jesus died for me. And, I, and, and he rose from the dead. The grave couldn't hold him. And not feel weird about that. You know what I'm afraid? We're all ashamed of that. We just sort of timid. We're afraid of what people say. We're afraid of how they'll receive it. Listen, you and I are holding back the anecdote for their problem. And we're masquerading it as, I don't want them to be offended. So I'd rather them just be miserable and possibly spend eternity in hell than for us to have an awkward moment. When I just get to praise him. For me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's gotten to the place where it's not awkward for me. I don't care where I'm at. Now, it wasn't that way in the beginning. Can I just be honest with you? <clears throat> but as I have practiced that a little over my lifetime, I get to where now they just like, boy, I wish we wouldn't ask this guy, you know. <laughs> because it's not awkward for me. It may be awkward for you. It may be awkward for the person who's listening. But it's not awkward for me because of what he's done. Because of who he is. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. By the way, we've already proven. David already proved where is his dominion? Everywhere. His throne is established in heaven, but his dominion has no boundaries. And then he, he comes back full circle. And so he's invited others to join him, but now he comes back and he says to himself. You ready? Read it with me. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, my soul, me. As far as I'm concerned, I need to get up and praise the Lord. Let's bow together. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Will you take a moment and thank God for who he is? Just thank him. Take it, hey, let's do this tonight. <clears throat> Where you're seated, I just want to invite you to just begin to talk to God. Whisper to him out loud if you feel led of God to do that. And you just begin to say, God, thank you for it. And you just have a conversation, just you and God. Nobody, imagine nobody else is in the room, just you talking to God. And everything you've heard today about the goodness of God and all his benefits, you just sort of talk to him about it. Will you do that for just a minute? Will you take just a minute and say, God, thank you for the benefit of forgiveness. Thank you, God, for the benefit of grace. Lord, thank you for this wonderful benefit of mercy. I'll never get what I deserve. God, thank you for the benefit that I have relationship with a God who is constant, who I never have to have anxiety about losing his throne. Thank you that even though my life is quick down here, my soul will live forever, and because of Jesus, I'll live forever with you. Just, just take a minute and go over the benefits of God with him, just you and him. Hadn't he been good to you? While those around you are thanking God for the benefits of knowing him that he's purchased with the blood of the lamb, somebody ought to thank God for the benefit of prayer. You realize we shouldn't be able to talk to God, but because of Jesus we can. We can talk to God. We can boldly come before the throne of grace for grace and help in our times of trouble. Will you thank him for that? God, thank you for Jesus who made possible I can talk to you. Thank you for the benefit of being able to be more like Jesus. What a benefit. What a benefit that I can become more like Christ. Hey, thank you for that. What a benefit. Hey, take a minute and thank him for heaven. Oh, is anybody out there? Thank you for the benefit of eternal life. 
that those who believe in Jesus shall never die. Their spirit will go on and on and on in the abode of heaven where God himself resides. Take a minute and thank him for the benefit of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Imagine where you'd be if the Holy Spirit wasn't guiding you and directing you and prompting you and helping you understand the Bible. Take a minute and thank him for the benefit of his word. You ever thought much about what it took to preserve it for these thousands of years and to put a cop in your hand in your language? Would you thank him for that benefit? Would you thank him for the benefit of the church? Wow, the bride of Christ. Flawed, yes. Imperfect, certainly. But one of the three great resources of God here in this life, the church. Would you thank him for it? As others around you, again, are praising him, if you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, can I tell you, the good news is it's not too late. Now, David said early on, I think it was about verse 9 when he said, God will not strive with man forever. He's not going to wrestle with us forever. He's not going to try and help us break free from the power of sin and penalty of sin forever. There comes a time when he finally says, okay, you want it your way, you can have it your way. But it's not his hope and desire for you and me. So tonight, if you have never placed your hope and trust in Jesus, would you believe tonight that God sent his son into the world to die for your sin as the penalty of the sin that you and I have committed. Would you also believe that as they placed his body in a borrowed tomb that on the third day he rose again? And would you believe tonight in such a way that it would prompt an action, an action of repentance? Meaning turning away from you being your own boss and humbly inviting Jesus to come and be Lord. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Sons and daughters, would you, would you receive him? Not as a co-pilot, but as Lord above all things. Father, I pray you take this time of response. And I pray, God, that we would just listen for your voice. And whatever you prompted us to do, we would do it. God, thank you tonight that you've sat us down. And as a loving daddy, you've cheered us on. I don't know why you would do that, except that you love us so very much. God, you've caused us to sit up. And I pray we would get up and praise you for it. Would you move now according to your perfect plan? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?